Welcome to the Future Now Media Podcast, where we believe a future now is a future one. I'm your host, Peggy Kim, and I'm the founder and president of the Future Now Media Foundation, which is a nonprofit leadership incubator for the media and entertainment industry. In this podcast series, we'll be talking to some of today's top industry leaders, executives, and professionals. We'll also hear about their personal and professional career journeys, what makes them tick, how they got to where they are today, and what they've learned along the way. And we'll also share some of the best content from our Future Now live events. Today's episode features a Future Now leadership talk, which took place in July 2018 at the Sheen Center in New York City in front of a live studio audience. I am especially excited about this episode as it features my dear friend, Marie Svet. Marie's most recent corporate role was as Global Chief Revenue Officer at AccuWeather. Today, she is a published author, entrepreneur, and consultant. And check this out, she's also a marathon runner and a bodybuilder. And she's a mom. You might wonder how she juggles it all. Well, we'll cover that and more in our conversation. Marie addresses the myth of work-life balance and shares about her unique journey to the C-suite. We also talk about the things that drive her and how she defines great leadership. Take a listen. So um, I want to start with um, your beginnings, right? So what was... What was your start? Because we're, we're talking to you know, college students, graduate students who are just on the cusp of starting their careers. Mm-hmm. So t- take me back to Marie Svet, age 22. Age 22. Did I have a job yet? Or I'm, I don't know. Did you have a job uh, yet? Almost. Uh, I was graduating in a recession, and it was crazy because I didn't have connections. I wanted to be in media and entertainment. I really wanted to be in an ad agency, and there was such a horrible recession, and none of my friends really had jobs already waiting for them. Most of them were just going to go back home and live with their parents. And my mom had already said, don't even bother coming home. So I was like, so. She kicked you out um, of the nest. Oh, and, and hard. So um, one of the things that you know I share with you, and I still do now, is that when you need a job or you want something, tell everybody. You know, connect with everybody, network with everybody, because um, networking is really how you're going to get all of your jobs. And I'm so glad I did because I ended up finding my first job standing in a bar. At Syracuse, where I was you know, doing my undergrad, or just finished, and um, this guy had been into New York City. He had been in an ad agency, and we're talking, and he's like, "You know how you doing?" I'm like, "Nothing." He's like, "You know what? I just got a job, and I know that they're about to fire this girl. So if you call the boss first thing Monday, you can get the interview and get the job." And that's what happened. That's exactly what happened, and. Uh, so we stayed in, in great touch, uh, he and I. Actually, he's one of my closest friends. But um, Did you know him before? You just met him at... Oh, no, no. I had known him, but, you know, I, actually, he was the first person I met, you know, ironically enough, uh, freshman year. I had come to the dorms early, and so did he. And uh, it was just... We were just meant to be good friends. And so I began and ended my career at Syracuse with this guy helping me out. 
You had a very clear idea of what you wanted to do um, from an early age, or what? yeah, pretty early. I, I knew I wanted to be in advertising because there was a TV show called Bewitched, and Darren Stevens, the character, uh, he was in advertising. Unfortunately, that job really doesn't exist, which I sadly found out while I was studying uh, at Syracuse. But I knew that I had passion for the agency world. I had to be there. Um, you know, I thought I was going to go into account management, maybe creative. Didn't really matter. I just wanted to be in New York at an ad agency, living the dream. And uh, you know, during that recession, no one was going to hire in account management. That that was for sure. And so what I did is. I just sat there and like, how can I make an in into any ad agency? And I thought, media. Media buyers are in desperate need just before the summer because their big buying season happens in television. So, you know, that's that's where I started connecting. So in addition to my friend in the bar, I also got my own interview. So when the time came, I actually got to choose which job I wanted. I had more than one offer. And that was pretty cool. Yeah. So then you, you, you got your foot in the door. Got my foot in the door. Or did you have any expectations when you walked in, and were you surprised when you started that job? That transition was one of the hardest transitions I've ever made. Um, you know, going from a, you know, basically a life where things were a meritocracy. You know, you, you, you put your time in, you work really hard, you get recognized, you, you go to the next grade or you go to the next promotion, whatever it happens to be. But in this world of work, aside from being bored, I didn't think I was using my brain power at all. I was just paying my dues, which I realized later everyone, I guess, does. Uh, but it felt more like a dictatorship because even if I could think of a better way to come up with something or to be more efficient in doing it, it had to be done the way the boss said, when the boss said, you know, and that was that. And, uh, you know, what was really ironic is that the first boss I had, she and I did not get along. And when she gave me my first review, it was terrible. And she said that I would never have a career in media and entertainment. Oops, I guess I proved her wrong. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> But it was, it was pretty interesting because it was a vicious review. And back then, you had to sign them, and it would go to HR and be in your permanent file. And uh, I refused to sign it, which... Why did she even say that? Was she just being mean and nasty? She, she was... Were you, or were well, there certain things on that review that you're like, I can sort of... Oh, no, I was that? awesome. It was her. <laughs> <laughs> She, um, she had a reputation of, she was just a miserable, angry, unhappy person. I never saw her crack a smile. We were on the Eminem Mars account, so we got a lot of candy. And the client would give her cases and cases of M&Ms, all sorts of candy, that was meant to be for the entire department. She hoarded it all. So she was just a mean-spirited person. And, uh, and she had a reputation for that. So uh, I would... How did you feel when you got that review? Uh, well, I still had a lot of spice in me coming out of college at that point in time. So I was like, I'm not signing this. So I went to the, um, the head of the department and I said, I'm not signing this. This is not reflective of the work I put out. 
Um, you know, she hasn't trained me. Anything I learned, I learned on my own, or I talked to my peers and had them show me. But, you know, this is grossly unfair. And he said, well, I'll write you a review. And I'm like, awesome. So the head of the department writes my review. It was wonderful. And I signed that. Wow. Yeah. What gave you that kind of courage? Because sometimes, you know, when you're just starting out, I think most people would be kind of intimidated and then, you know, probably run to the bathroom in tears and not know what to do. Well, part of it is that, like I said, I was still spicy and feeling like, you know, invincible coming out of, out of school. And I, haven't, I hadn't been knocked around enough or yet at, at that point. And also, you know, I called my mom. <laughs> my mom was this really wonderful mentor of mine. And she's like, don't sign that. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not signing that. And she's like, just march yourself into, you know, the, the, her boss's office. And she reported to the head of the department. So having a great mentor like that also was very helpful. So t- tell me a little bit about your mom. Because I know that she's, she's like a huge... Um, influence in your life and so and you've taken a lot of lessons from who she is yeah um she's pretty amazing so she was the chief financial officer and coo of the visiting nurse service of rochester uh, in rochester new york and i believe she was the first female cfo um in that area when she took that position and what was interesting is that her boss, her CEO, was also a woman. So growing up in that household, I mean, we, we talked, you know, business things. It was very common talk at, at the dinner table. And sometimes she brought me to meetings. I mean, I actually got wow. to see, yeah, it was pretty amazing. Like, I actually got to see one time, um, they, were, they had a, a contraction and they had to let people go. And to sit in the room, I, I can't believe to this day that they let me in the room to hear all this because it was pretty sensitive information. But talking about the fact that they had to let some people go, who was it going to be, how did they do it humanely, and they really agonized over that. And so to be a part of that, to see that, to have all of this, you know, information that I was absorbing through osmosis and or just paying attention was wonderful. But, you know, flip it forward and my first job and to be working for a woman who was at best nasty and who wasn't there to be helpful and care about the people that worked for her, um, that was really tough. What was also tough, um, and you know this story already, is a couple months later, I found out from one of my coworkers who incidentally was the guy who was in the bar to help me get that job, um, he said, oh, yeah, I heard that, you know, so-and-so signed, you know, did your review for you. You know, we were talking about it over drinks, which, first off, he shouldn't have been doing, the head of the department. And he's like, he's like yeah, I don't know what she does all day, but she sure is cute, so I wrote her a review. And I heard that, and I was crushed, absolutely crushed, mm-hmm. because... You know, I had such faith and trust in this person that was sitting on high that he saw what we all did and that he gave me a fair assessment, and he didn't. And I didn't know if he knew anything about me at this point in time. And and that was really disturbing because, 
you know, I always made it a point for people to know who I was and, and to do great work and, and for people to add value every day, right? That was crushing for me. And it was kind of like a wake-up call, like, I'm not home anymore. And this is a little bit, the rules are a little different. So how did you get through that? Well, I quit. <laughs> how long were you in the job before you quit? Oh, no, I was there for a year. But he knew we were all going to quit within two years anyway. Um, so one of the things that he had done, so you know, he, he did add value to me as well. Uh, we were a bunch of um, assistants. We all started probably within the same 10-day span. And about two weeks in, he calls us all into a conference room, and he says, all right, listen up. Um, I'm going to give you some advice. And three things. He said, be, well, first off, know that I was a media buyer. So my counterparts were salespeople. He's like, be nice to all your salespeople because they are going to get you your next job. So be nice to everybody. Um, do not get drunk at company functions or work functions. You are still on the clock, and you are representing your company and yourself. Um, and it will really damage your brand, your personal brand, if you get drunk. Uh, your reputation at a, is on yeah, the line. Yeah, exactly. And then the last thing was um, something very interesting, and uh, I, I still do it now. Is it? Uh, anytime a job comes open in the agency, he's like, pitch every job. doesn't matter if it's two levels, three levels higher than you. Just pitch every job. The thinking behind that was that you would be letting uh, the, the higher-ups know your commitment and your interest in staying there and staying in the industry. And when something that was suitable for you actually did come up, you'd be first, of my, first in mind. So the whole you know, sit back, do good work, and I'll be recognized, and I'll just get promoted. That was never going to happen. You have to, you know, take action. Let people know, talk it, and, and, and do something, which meant, you know, pitch every job. you got to show that you want it. Yeah, absolutely. And it's such a competitive um, industry. Yeah. And so, you know, I think one of the challenges, at least I found when I was starting out, was... You know, I, I started out in news, which is, mm -hmm. you know, ABC News, Network News in New York. Um, I was coming out of college where everybody was coddling you and said, you know, there to support you, there to see you succeed and, and help you in any way possible. And then here was this job that I really, really wanted and then I got. And then the environment was totally... Uh, uh, you know, shark-infested waters. They didn't care. <laughs> they weren't there to see me succeed. Right. You know. Um, yeah, it's tough to it go from tough. a nurturing environment to a snake pit. Right. So how, um, how, and I, I'd love this to be, uh, for us to kind of share what we've both learned. How do you, how does one maintain their integrity and their values and who they are in a very competitive environment, because some people can be downright evil yeah. and undermine you, and even the things that even some of the people that you thought were your mentors too. Uh, and then and I can share that story, but mm -hmm. you know, they can feel threatened because you're suddenly succeeding right. um, and try to undermine you. So how do you? How did you handle hmm. that? 
How do you how do you handle how it? How do I handle yeah. it? Um, well, it's funny. I had a boss that always said to me, "Keep your powder dry," and I'd be like, "What does that mean? I still don't understand what what that does it mean?" <laughs> um, but. One of the things that I did learn um, through experience and just watching him was that it was so important to keep your work and your personal life as separate as you can possibly keep them. Um, you know, I, I think you know, going forward, you know, the higher up you get, the more uh, snake infested that pit becomes, and you have fewer and fewer friends at the workplace and when they say it gets lonely at the top you know it's true I wanted to if you were to kind of give um, a synopsis of your journey of the last you know lots your, of years your, many years <laughs> of, your, of your illustrious career how would you characterize the journey of that career uh, I love that question um, so thanks for asking it um Actually, no one's ever asked me before, so I will just tell you, in my head, I have always envisioned myself trying to breach this castle, you know, this fortified castle, and, you know, I have a ladder, and I'm climbing the ladder, you know, you hear about climbing the corporate ladder, but I'm climbing this ladder to get to the, you know, the top of this castle, inside the castle, and unfortunately, you know, a lot of people take one ladder and they just go right up that ladder all the way and I didn't um, for various reasons um, some were conscious decisions and others were more strategic because I was dealing with environmental issues and then some I was just I was a single parent and it was just necessity and instead of going straight up the ladder I kind of started swinging to the next ladder over and and you just you know reaching is you know, sometimes I thought it was a long shot, and I still got it. And so I did this for about 10 years, doing, you know, different ladders. And so, you know, I started out as a media buyer. I got my MBA, and I thought, all right, well, I'll come back, and I'll do, you know, ad sales. But I couldn't get an ad sales job at that point. So I did affiliate sales, which is uh, distribution. So, like, if you're at ESPN, for example, um, you're trying, you're working in the deal to get, uh, distribution like on Spectrum or Cablevision that okay so I was doing that and then I jumped to uh, the dot-com world which I guess is not called that anymore it's now digital media but I did you that the first wave. I was the first wave and part of the dot bomb as well and uh, and that was exciting because all these jobs that I started having post MBA I built I built the role um, in the How position, I made it, I made it up. Um, <laughs> no, when you came in, you were hired for one position, and yet, and then when you got in, you you expanded out your responsibilities. No, actually, um, I like I was saying in the beginning, I always network and I talk to people. And in talking with people, you know, what do you do? You know, I do this. I really like this. And well, I have this, and it was basically uncovering people's needs. And saying, well, you know, I can help you with that. Like, really? I'm like, yeah. All right, well, you know what? Let me go back and go to HR. We'll figure out, write up some job thing, and then we'll hire you. <laughs> and that's what would happen. Um, and it happens more times than you think. And it's called the hidden job market, and it really does exist. Uh, and it exists at all levels. So that's what happened. And so I. It really comes from 
identifying a problem and you figuring out how am I going how can I help solve that problem? Yeah, and being excited be about it, yeah. right? And that was part of the other thing. I love to build. I, I like to solve problems. Um, and I know when it's the right job for me because it doesn't feel like work. I feel like I'm going to play with puzzles all day long. And my God, I get paid to do that. So it would fit. And so where was I? I'm, I'm coming around this castle. I'm like... <laughs> yeah, so the, the lateral... So it's not just different ladders, meaning different types of jobs or dis, you know di different departments or different disciplines, but you actually also did a lot of lateral moves, meaning... yes. You were a director for a long time, right? Yes, I was a director for, in my mind, it was too long because in, I had this cadence in my mind that I was supposed to hit certain milestones and be at a certain level by a certain age. And I can't really tell you where that came from, but it was, it was internal. And so it got to a point where I was at this great job. I loved the job. I loved the people. But I had to move on because I wasn't being promoted and I was doing the work of a senior person, I felt. But I was stuck because the person who ran that division had a different cadence. He took a long time to get promoted and therefore everybody under him would take a long time to get promoted. I didn't have time for that noise, so I left. You know. And then some companies, there's just not a whole lot of turnover. Right? That's correct, but even internally, you can network to create your own position. And like, you know, you need a VP of such and such because I see the whatever. But you know, the whole networking thing doesn't have to be external. It can also be done internally. And you know, when I got to my the last role I was in, um, I started out as a consultant, at identifying a need. And then as I was there, I realized there's a whole bunch of stuff that that I can affect and I can have an immediate impact on. So it really became having conversations with people and talking about that and then just saying, this is what I want. Um, and having a really solid business case to go with what I wanted because, and again, framing that completely in terms of how it benefited the company the most. You sound very wise. Were you wise the whole time? Or how did you get this information? How did you figure this stuff out? Did you just know? Or how did you, how did you learn all this? Uh, I had mentors, like my mom. And I had an advocate. And I did a lot of reading and a lot of talking uh, with people. But I will say that one of the reasons I stagnated, I, I felt like stagnated, coming around that castle wall and not going up and breaching the walls was because I was doing it all on my own. And the transitional moment for me was when I got into this executive leadership program. It's called Betsy Magnus, and it was for women. And the realization, that, you know, I was with 25 other women, and it didn't matter what company they were with, what role they did, you know, what their journey had been. We had so many common things that we had gone through as women in the corporate world. And in some, with some of us, we were the only women. And our experience was so different and it was so common at the same time. And going through this program, which was about 10 months, 9, 10 months, we became incredibly close and that became uh, like my mastermind group, my support group, and suddenly knowing that I'm not alone, I can role play with these women. Some of them have already done this before me, and 
they were willing to reach back and help me up. And it was the most incredible thing. And I did not start getting promoted until I met them. And I realized the value in having that network and that support group. How long ago did you do that program? I did that program uh, probably six years ago. Wow. Six, and That's I only started. Six years ago. Yeah, but you know what? I started getting promoted almost every year after that. Wow. One of the um, one of the things that I've heard people talk about is you should have your own personal board. Right. I don't know if you've, you've heard that term, but everybody should have their own kind of personal board. Those those are your, you know, trusted. Friends, colleagues. Peggy's on my board. And she's on mine. That's why we're sitting here today. Um, And we've done a lot of amazing things together, too. Um, But it's so interesting. Like, you came to it, like, only six years ago. Yeah, but look, I mean, it it amazes me how long I was at that director level. And then, I mean, actually, let's say, I did the program six years ago, um, and I started out at my last job Mm -hmm. eight years ago. But, you know, they paid me less than when I was in, you know, at the, the lower level. I mean, it was just, it wasn't great. Right. But I made that change because I was with these women, and I learned so much from them. Wow. So when did you breach the wall? How did you get to Global Chief Revenue Officer? Ta-da! Um, yeah. I, <laughs> I'm just talking chief revenue officer. It was talking global. global chief yeah. revenue officer. How did you get there? Well, you know, it's, it's basically the same. Um, it's identifying needs and raising my hand and saying, I can do that. Even if I only knew 30% of what it really would take, I know that I'm resourceful. And I was like, you know what? If, and this was at the same company? Yeah. So all, how long at this company, what level did you start at? How long did it take you to get up there? I was a VP, and was it your first VP position? My first VP position, and I, had to, you know, I had to fight for that too. It was crazy coming in, and uh, they didn't pay me at VP level; they paid me at director level, and it was craziness. So the first thing I did was show my worth, have a business case, and get paid what I was worth. That was the first thing, and that happened within the year. And then by the following year, I got bumped up to. SVP, and it was less than a year from SVP to Chief Revenue Officer, and then a year after that was Global Chief Revenue Officer. So I was at Global Chief Revenue Officer longer than any other title. Wow. And it all came from uh, looking at the whole business, finding needs, um, thinking through how I could help and add value. And then, you know, either literally or figuratively writing up that business case and presenting it to people that could affect that change. And just saying, this, I'm already doing this, or I, I should be doing this, or whatever it was. The global thing was interesting because at Stern, I did um, an, an executive... European management studies, and my MBA was actually in uh, international business. So I was like, I am uniquely qualified to be the global chief revenue officer. <laughs> so off to China I went. <laughs> wow. And that's how that happened. So that, you, I mean, after doing that whole circle around the castle, 
in a very short amount of time, you just, you breached it and grabbed the flag. Yeah. But, you know, there was value in going around the castle because what that did, it's like being a consultant. I got to see different aspects of the company and how things actually work together. And because many people, when they go up just one ladder, they become very siloed in their thinking and, and how they, they view everything. But when you get to go around the whole castle, you see how things really come into play and they impact. Fuller view of the ecosystem. Yeah, absolutely. And I thought that made me more valuable and made me make better decisions. Oh, awesome. I'm going to open this up. Does anybody have any questions? Tell me about questions. (laughs) Tell tell us who you are. (laughs) Always. My name is Camilla Pian. I am the founder and executive producer of my own small business, Pian and Company, which is a video production and intersectional marketing firm based in Brooklyn. So I was hoping you could kind of tell us about some things that you found drain you in your career and have you found oh. ways to re-energize yourself so you can go to the top of the castle and take that flight. Um, yeah, that is a great question. We were talking about energy just yesterday. Um, The things that drain me are the drama. Like, I want to come to work, do a great job, and go home. I don't think that you should have to work, you know, all hours of the day and night, because I think you're inefficient if you do. So it's draining to me when people are inefficient, or there's drama that doesn't relate to the job at hand, um, and politics for the sake of politics. That's just a waste of my time. That's so draining. And what I do is, um, you know, I have my faith. I run and... (laughs) This is my favorite. Because you'll never guess what it is. If you're at the conference, you know. Yeah, if you're at the conference, you'll know. But I'm a competitive bodybuilder. And that takes a tremendous... Yeah, I know. I love the eyes. (laughs) And um, And I've I've been to one of her uh, competitions. She has. And... And that takes a lot of dedication and commitment, and it takes me so out of my day-to-day work world and gives me a completely different focus that that's how I deal with it, and that energizes me. And if I'm angry with somebody, man, I can't tell you how much poundage I can bench press. It's amazing. How much is it? Ah, shit. More than body weight I will say that more than my body weight wow that's amazing so why bodybuilding I mean when you first told me I'm like what (laughs) you mean like bikinis and like muscles like what do you yes I get into four sparkly triangles and six inch heels uh and lots of spray tan um, you know, first off, you know, I've already been a, a marathon runner, and I've done 10 marathons, 55 half marathons, and I wanted something that was more of a challenge. The thing that attracted me about the bodybuilding is that it takes tremendous focus and dedication, and it is incredibly difficult uh, it's to stay with it because you're not, it's not just, I'm going to do this for a couple weeks. It becomes a lifestyle. And it takes several months to prepare for a competition. And I have taken the last year and a half to prepare for the next competition that I'm in because I needed to build more muscle. And it, it's, it's pretty cool, but that's why. That's amazing. So I, you were like completely transformed, and I was like, 
who is that? <laughs> yes. It's like being Cinderella. Uh, you have the body up until midnight, and then you have to give it back. <laughs> but you know what was, what was so interesting um, when, I went to, when I went to your competition, and you, or it was even before when I was asking, you were like, why are you doing this? Um, the control of just posing. And the, can you talk about that? Because that's, I actually found that to be really interesting because you have to actually, you practice your poses and you've got to hold it for a while, right? Yeah, so actually. Because that it's, takes incredible amount of energy. It does. You don't think it's hard. It is it's very difficult. difficult. So like you end up practicing your posing. So it's not like you go on to these competitions and you lift. That's like powerlifting, and I don't do that. But what you do is that you have these mandatory poses that you have to make. You go across stage, and then you get into this little center so they all can see you, the judges. And you strike these poses, and you, you do them, and then... Um, the, the competition round is you're doing these poses with all the your competitors in a line and the thing is is that you're supposed to have poise be smiling it's hot under those lights and you are flexing as hard as you possibly can and to do that and make it look like you're not doing anything and you're comfortable is is really hard. Like, it's all that muscle definition that you need yeah. to, to actually show in your pose. Right. right. So in practice, I mean, I break a sweat, and it is very hard to hold those poses. Um, you often hear because what happens is you turn yourself into human beef jerky the last week because you deplete, you get all the water out and salt, and then you tan yourself up. So. You have none of that. You haven't eaten, so you're starving. You're at your weakest, and now you're supposed to flex really hard under these hot lights. So people pass out. I mean, it happens. Wow, really? Mm-hmm. Wow. It's usually the big guys. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and you actually won in your... Or I, I placed. I did. Placed I got your, third place. Yeah. age category. Mm-hmm. So one thing I'm thinking about as you're talking, you're talking about running, and you're doing marathons, and you're also um, lifting... Or bodybuilding. Can you talk a little bit about how you transferred some of those like character traits to your leadership? That's position? exactly the question I was going to ask. So it's the best thing I can say is sometimes there are parts of your job that you don't like. You know, you, it just happens. But being the best leader possible is doing those things is being dedicated and doing them no matter what because it needs to get done and it's a part of the process so you don't focus on the fact that uh, you know doing this particular function at the office you know like performance evaluations or whatever happens to be that tests your you know your boundaries in terms of boredom um, is doing it anyway because in the end, it's part of the process, and you have to trust the process that it all works together and will get you to where you need to go. That's how I translate that. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Um, anybody else have questions? Yes. Uh, you mentioned that, like. Oh, just give us your name. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm Matt. I, funny story, I actually work for this place. So works at the Sheen Center. He's referring oh, cool. to the Sheen Center. Uh, so, but I am trying to focus on getting a job in the media field. I'm still trying to narrow down what I want. All I know is that I want to be either in film, television, video game, or writing. And a lot of people are telling me to narrow your search, which I'm trying my best to do. 
Um, the one question I have is that, like, when you apply for something like that, uh, you, you mentioned that you said that you love doing what you do, but you also have side projects to like keep you focused or like bodybuilding mm -hmm. essentially. My question is, what happens if you feel like what you do, what you love, you do it every day, and then you stop loving it to like to the point you start hate it? Do you think that like uh, do something else? Okay. <laughs> why would you Why would you spend time doing something you hate? Sure. Yeah, I mean, I I think the time is short. Yeah, know? time is short. You should, you know, there's better ways to make money than to be in the media and entertainment business. So it can't be about the money. Mm -hmm. It's really about what are you passionate about? Are you passionate about you know selling? Are you passionate about telling stories? I mean, why would you waste your time on something that you're not interested in? Right. You know, I, I, when I was in college, um, our school, I went to uh, a wonderful liberal arts college called Williams College up in Massachusetts. And we didn't have, and this school still doesn't have like a communication arts major or anything like that, or a media major. So I was a political science major. And the types of recruiters that would come on campus, they were um, investment banks, um, insurance companies and you know, uh, you know, and those kinds of institutions. I had zero interest in those things, but I actually still I signed up and interviewed with the Lehman Brothers and Goldman Sachs and and Prudential. And I remember the woman um, who interviewed me. Um, I think she was from Prudential. She asked me so. <laughs> What do you, you know? What do you, what do you really, what, what gets you excited? What, what, you know, what is, what is it that you're passionate about? And so I told her, you know, I love journalism. I love telling stories, and I love television. And she was like, "You need to focus on that. <laughs> you need to." So it's the lady from Prudential who told me, "You need to focus on that." Um, and so I was like, okay, because I felt pressure that this was, these were the recruiters that were coming to our school so that I needed to, to participate in that. Um, so, you know, I would say pr pursue that which you are passionate about, that which you feel called to, and if you still don't know, it is okay. You don't have to have everything figured out. The best thing that you could do is be ambitiously exploring. Yes. You know, constantly be exploring. Yeah, and I, I'll add something else to that. You know, of course, the first thing people are going to say, narrow your focus. And maybe for a specific paying job. But that doesn't mean that you can't have a portfolio career, meaning you have, you know, the kind of like when you put together an investment portfolio, you have you know the primary amount of your time. Diversified. Primary job that gets you the most amount of money, but you still, you're writing over here and you've got some you know, side hustle over there. And you add it all up and you know, your life is enriched and you're doing everything that you want to do, right? Yeah. You, got, you have to make space for it. You have to give yourself mental space to do it. But the exciting thing is you're, you guys are young, you kind of have an interest in something or you're, not, you're still not sure, that is okay. You don't have to, don't put that kind of pressure on yourself. Just explore, explore everything, you know, yeah. and then you'll figure it out. you figure it out. Yes, yeah. you have a question. Identify yourself, please. Uh, I'm Kezia. I'm um, Kezia Kim. I'm actually a recent graduate from Amherst College, which is very Yes, our, my rival school. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, rival school. 
But um, like exactly like what you said just now, um, I feel like um, like our school's career center is mostly helpful for either like consulting or graduate school. And I'm a I was a math and music major, so we only do like abstract math, and we only do music theory. Like we don't do anything. Um, practical or like applicable in any of our studies. Mm -hmm. So I was more idealistic and didn't actually like go to any of those interviews or anything. So now I'm trying to like follow my passion and figure out what I want to do and also narrow my focus on exactly what I want to do. But um, I'm just struggling to like find the first job also because I like because Amherst is also very like flexible with when you choose your majors and what majors you can choose, so you can mm -hmm. change your major at any moment. So I like really went with that and did um, different types of internships, and none of them relate to what I want to do now. Mm -hmm. So do you have any advice on how to explore more? So I wouldn't look at your situation as like I failed because I didn't find it you've now eliminated something that you know you don't want to do. And that leads, that's again, you're honing your, your focus. And that's the whole point of exploring. You're, you're exploring, you're checking out different things and then you're elimin it's a process of elimination, right? So again, I wouldn't, don't put so much pressure on yourself, but certainly pick something. You gotta start somewhere. Right. Right? The first job doesn't have to be the perfect job. Right. You just need to start somewhere, pick something, pursue it, see how far you want to take it and then if it's not working out if it's not interesting you right on. exactly yeah. anything else yeah how about well, denise um, denise introduce yourself oh, my name. <laughs> 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 i'm sorry my name is uh denise and um i kind of have i don't know how to put it but majority of my work background is in corporate banking, so I've consulted at the Goldman's, the Merrill Lynch, and everything. The question that I want to ask is, with that much experience in banking, how do I convey to now HR prospective manager that, yes, I could make the transition. I've taken a class at New York University instead, because they do have a double major business, entertainment, etc. that I'm ready to make that transition in spite of consistency of finance on my resume? Um, so a couple of the things that I can think of off the bat is find your own recruiters. Don't, don't be letting them find you. Find someone who's willing to work with you and uh, specializes in transitioning people from one industry to another. Those folks exist? They do. They do. How do you find them? Please. On LinkedIn and you just start following them and you read what they do. Um, or do they call themselves? They're just recruiters. I mean, like, no, not every recruiter is created equal, and you have to go to their personal websites and, and look at what they do. But they, they actually do diversify. A, a decent recruiter um, has, a, has a specialty, and there are those that um, help you transition. Will help one. you transition, that's for sure. The other thing is, is you have to start making, you have to tell that story. If you're going to be a marketer, then your first story, your first marketing assignment is you. So start pulling out the projects that you've done and, you know, what makes this marketing and make your marketing materials, a.k.a. your CV, um, about that and more 
project driven as, as opposed to these are the companies I worked for in chronological order. That's boring. You know, put something else, diff- put something really compelling and different that makes you stand out. There are organizations, that, nonprofit organizations that you can volunteer for, yes. right? That you can say, okay, I want to learn more about marketing. Well, yes. here's, a, here's a committee you can join yes. with this nonprofit where you can start learning those skills, right? And that, again, that gives you experience. That's something else to put on your resume. So it's not just the one experience that you had, but you're building. Yeah. It's a constant laying down of your foundation. So you lay that foundation brick by brick. You don't say, I want to do this, and then you expect people to just do it for you. You actually have to start building. So build your portfolio of experience. And you can do that with, with a lot of mm-hmm. volunteering opportunities. Yep. Absolutely. I have applied for internships, and hopefully that will be able to give you the direction. Yeah. 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 Yes. Hello, um, my name is Chima. I'm a rising senior at University in Boston, Massachusetts. Um, this summer I'm interning at Ogilvy. So my question is, looking back at like your career, has there ever been like a balance with like work and like after and like after work, or is it more of an integration? Like uh, more of an, is there ever like a work-life balance? Because I'm still like trying to understand like the nine-to-five work uh, timeline and then going back home. So I've always asked myself like, how do you handle that? Um, my answer isn't necessarily the same as Peggy's answer, so um, so I'll go first and then you can go. Okay. Um, I don't think work-life balance actually exists. Um, but I think you have to make choices and prioritize every week. And so maybe one week you're working till midnight every night, and you know the next week you know, you get some of that back and you focus and prioritize your personal life. As long as you can, at least this is how I did it, as long as by the end of the month I I got a a neutral, I reset, and I, you know, everyone got a little love. didn't all happen on the same day or the same week, but it, it was a wash for the month. Then I felt like I had been successful. But on any given day, one is always going to take precedence over the other. That has just been my experience. You may have a different experience. Uh, so work-life balance. I think you just you. Ha- I think you have to determine what's important to you, right? What's what is it that motivates you? It's always it always gets back to the why. Why are yes. you doing what you're doing? Why are you spending the time that you're spending on X, Y, or Z? And so if you think about what is actually important not just your own kind of ambition, but what is actually important, right? For you to be a whole, you know, satisfied human being, what are, what are those things? Um, and are you prioritizing it? And then are you actually expending the energy and your resources to, to make those things happen? Um, I think that's, yeah. that's what I would say. Yeah. Yes. Kamala again. Um, looking at two, a twofold question. Looking back, what is um, one piece of advice you would give your younger self? And then looking forward, what is something that you're envisioning for the future? You should just sit up here. Yeah. <laughs> yes. The yes, it's an excellent question. I think I've heard it before. Um, what I would tell my younger self um, is I would start and get that 
that board, like Peggy was mentioning, that support group, I would do that so much sooner because I really was going alone, going at it and alone. Many of us yeah. Did. For so long, too long, too long. So that's what I would do. That's what I would tell my younger self. Going forward, envisioning um, my future, um, I'm all about the portfolio career because there's a lot of things I want to do, and why should I limit myself to one? So I want to segue into your book because one of the things that you have done in the last year is write a book. You are a published author. Yes. Um, so tell me about that project. What, what, what was it that got you into that? And I know that you feel like you have other books in you yes. that are waiting to come um, out. I always wanted to be an author. That was, and you know, for years and years, I was like, I have nothing to write about. I just want to be a writer, but I got nothing to write about. You got nothing to say. I have nothing to say. <laughs> um, and then when I left my last company, uh, I had an opportunity to go to a conference. Um, it was more of like a retreat. And I met people, and I just was open to whatever happened. And I met this woman who was a publisher, and she, her whole deal was collecting stories uh, from women and putting them together, the difference being that you wrote your own story. And it was an opportunity to dip your toe in the water to be a published author and to learn that whole business. And I, you know, at first I was like, no, not interested. And then she came after me, and then she said those magic letters, ROI. And I was like, this return on investment, in case you didn't know. And I was like, okay. And so um, I did. And in talking with her, it was great. What was your ROI in this scenario? <laughs> well, it was actual um, pushing me forward, and it would cost me less to uh, participate in this book. So, to, can you describe the book? Well, yeah, I'm getting to that. So, <laughs> the process um, was with 29 other women we've never met, and for six months we would meet on Zoom online and have these marathon discussions. They were very lengthy, and talk about what we were doing and essentially every woman in this book has a story they have some sort of loss whether it was a husband a child you know uh, their health or a sense of self how they dealt with that loss how they came through it and what message did they have for the people um, following them you know to help them through it or to avoid that disaster altogether and you know I've somehow managed to find a voice and have a chapter to write about. But one of the things, you know, and in my chapter, you know, and by the way, I brought a book for everybody here that I'm giving away to you. Um, so, uh, you know, I thought, oh, what do I have to say? But in talking with them, I did have something to say, and it was great. But in that chapter, I was like, I'm doing this for women, and I want to, you know, you know, build this consulting business to help women entrepreneurs build their own businesses. So you and I got to talk, and uh, and and move forward like that. And the thing that was so interesting is that because of my experience in my last job, I was pretty closed off. This experience, and because I was working with all men all the time, and now to be with all these women who were really charismatic and out there, it was overwhelming and one day 
probably three quarters of the way through, the publisher, she called me out and basically said, listen, you know, you're talking about being there for women and, and, and wanting to support and empower women, but you don't even show up. I mean, I'm on the calls, but I'm not showing up. I'm not promoting it. I'm not adding to the conversation. I'm not talking about it. And that was horrifying to me, that experience. And so I thought about it, and I, and I realized how afraid I had been all this time to talk about myself, to, to even put my voice out there, because for the last few years it had been so crushed every time I did try. And I just stopped trying, to be honest. So I, I was so nervous, but I was like, okay, I put a date on the calendar. This is the day that I'm going to tell everyone on social media that I'm part of this book project. And I was so nervous. It's amazing. I, had, I could type myself because I put it out on Facebook first. And uh, I did it, and I got such amazing support. To be transparent like that and completely vulnerable, definitely not part of my life experience ever. I do everything to avoid it. Um, but there is tremendous power in being vulnerable and transparent. And um, so that was life-changing for me. What's next for you? So where are you at now? Um, gosh, that's a loaded question, Peggy. Um, <laughs> uh, I am I'm, I'm working on a couple of new books, and, um, and I hope to have them out sometime in 2019. And I am consulting on a bunch of different startups. I have a startup of my own and my own, obviously my own consulting firm. And, um, you know, I'm looking for more things to do, Peggy. I got, I got assignments for you. All right. <laughs> You're on. <laughs> so thank you, everybody, so much for joining us for this leadership talk with Maurice Fett. Thank you, This is Peggy. a really awesome launch of this series. We're, the next one right now, we're looking at September. And we'll keep you posted on that. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Remember, a lateral move is not necessarily a bad thing. Don't take a job just for the title. Instead, pursue opportunities that will enable you to learn and grow, build your skill set, give you exposure to different parts of the industry and business, and expand your network. That's one of the greatest takeaways from Marie's story. If you want to be in the audience or stream one of our Future Now events, go to our site, futurenowmediafoundation.org, and subscribe to our newsletter. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn for updates. Till next time, I'm Peggy Kim, and remember, a future now is a future one.